we are here with Rosie Carrick, the writer and performer of Passionate Machine, which is a part of this year's Melbourne Fringe Festival. So, welcome to Art Smitten. Um, would you be able to give us a brief rundown of Passionate Machine and what kind of people can kind of expect if they're going to see your show this yeah, week? Yeah, sure. Thank you for having me on. I quite no like worries. the idea of being called Zosie Carrick. <laughs> <laughs> sounds <Sorry>. more exotic. <laughs> um, Passionate Machine is a sort of... On the surface, it's a time travel kind of um, caper, I guess. The, yeah. the premise is that I, Rosie Carrick, in real life, have received a letter from my future self um, who is stuck on an obsessive mission um, which has made a make, build a time machine, get stuck 100 years in the past, and now it's down to me to um, rebuild the time machine and go back and save my future past self. Um, and I love time travel films. I love Doctor Who. I love Back to the Future. I love all that stuff. But, of course, none of that cultural stuff is good for helping you build a time machine itself. So no. the play is kind of about me um, grappling with, OK, how, how on earth do I do this then? You know, how do, I, how, how do I build this thing and get back there? And so sort of going through all time travel films, putting out an advert on Gumtree. Do you guys have Gumtree here? Yes. OK. <laughs> I mean, I know you've got gum trees in there in, uh, lining the streets. Um, so in that sense, it's this sort of uh, mad, very funny, sort of fast-paced adventure story. But it's more about, I guess, the relationship that you have with your past and future selves and, and how we operate within that every day. So, you know, all of us experience time travel in some way all the time. You know, if you go to bed on a Friday night, blind, drunk, do you leave out a pint of water for your next morning self? Do you inevitably <laughs> be hungover or do you leave them to fend for themselves? You know, and when you are that next morning self, do you think, oh, thank God, past me was so kind or damn past me, why? Um, and yeah. so, and you know, when we write lists to ourselves, when we, um, you know, anything like that, we sort of write diaries, I guess, letters to ourselves. I used to write letters to myself a lot as a young child and, you know, when you find them as a grown-up and you have this sort of really weird sense of skipping through that time. Um, I, I'm really fascinated by time travel. I love all these kind of daily um, examples. So I guess this show turns that on its head and says, OK, well, we're all used to going forwards, you know, forwards-facing time travel. What happens if, if we got a message from our future self, not from our past self? What, what would you do then? So the show is kind of answering that question of what would you, what would you do? Yeah, and I, I guess um, you know it's it, it's an interesting thing to think about. You know, if you could go back in time to yourself when you were six years old, what advice would you give yourself? What would you tell yourself? Anything like that? And I guess the question that this show is asking is, you know, what if you are that past self who's getting some information from the future? How do you handle that? How does it make you reassess the way that you? Yeah, that you care for yourself, I suppose. How do you yeah. look after yourself? If you can do that literally. So I guess, you know, the tagline is, is you know, about uh, that it's a show about finding yourself literally. And in this show, I have to sort of go back and root myself out. And that forces me to question certain behaviours. I'm a pretty obsessive uh, nut job, I guess. <laughs> I, become, I, I love Arnold Schwarzenegger, for example. I went to Ohio earlier this year and stalked him there and met him. He looked me up and down and said... You met him? You what was the good. What was the situation? Like, how did that exactly come about? Well, he runs this bodybuilding competition called the Arnold Classic. It's the second <laughs> most prestigious bodybuilding competition in the world after after the Olympia, which Arnold has himself has won seven times. Oh, and in fact, which is on this weekend. Oh, my God. I must check out the results later. And um, I 
fell in love with Arnold Schwarzenegger and I was like six years old and I've loved him ever since, even though, you know, he's a Republican and I don't care. Um, and so the next project I'm working on after Passionate Machine is called Muscle Bound. And it's all about like this kind of mad time in film history where you've got these like bodybuilders sort of being ritually tortured in kind of fun um, contexts in mainstream me- films aimed at guys you know this sort of super macho thing like Conan He-Man Rambo exactly yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's all Arnold Schwarzenegger Dolph Lundgren Sylvester Stallone and Jean-Claude Van Damme man if if you remove all the films where they get tortured in some homoerotic fashion in mainstream <laughs> films they would have very little <laughs> left in their canon um so I was like, well, you know, I better do my research and um, and go to <laughs> Ohio. It's just so mad. Arnold Schwarzenegger's just there, just there, like it's no big deal. And he, yeah. So I just sort of found my ways in. I'm very canny, canny woman like that, and have this great photo. My mum, who has never come to any of my shows, who's never read any of the books that I've had published. When I sent her this photo of me and Arnold Schwarzenegger, she put it on a T-shirt. She's so <laughs> proud. And she's like, she's like a super well-to-do woman. She's like, oh, Rose, darling, I just, I feel so proud. And I was like, man, that's clearly what it takes to, uh, to make a movie. Yeah, just m- made a celebrity. Um, I realize I totally digressed from that. It's fine. <laughs> a, a wormhole into Arnold Schwarzenegger. But the point I was trying to make before going into that was that I have a history of obsessive and sometimes quite self-destructive behaviours and I guess this show is about you know what happens when you get a call for help from a bit of your life that you know wasn't really dealing with things very well and that potentially to help them in that situation might be replicating that pretty damaging behaviour but to not help them feels you know quite drastic and cruel as well so it's about looking at our behaviours I guess and the way we treat ourselves. Yeah. Um, reading about like the passionate machine, I'm, I got the impression that it's a solo show. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. Yeah. It's just me and a lot of um, video montage and uh, yeah, video installation and images yeah. and stuff like that. Um, have you like faced any specific challenges in having a solo show, not really having any actors around you to um, support it? Well, it is quite scary, <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah. It's the first play I've written, actually, and so all my performance in the past has been um, poetry. I sort of came to be known in the UK as a performance poet primarily, although this show is spoken word insofar as it's, I guess, storytelling falls yeah. into that category, I guess, but it's not poetry at all. Um, so in that sense, I'm used to being on a stage on my own and I do a lot of comparing. I compare the poetry stage at Glastonbury Festival and a lot of other festivals in the UK. Um, but yes, certainly this was the first time that I've sort of done, it's 70 minutes long, that, that I've sort of, you know, you get on stage and you're like, oh boy, I'm. this is just me now until this ends and you just got to go through it, which is, I like, I was almost literally pooing my pants for the first few performances. (laughs) On the way to the first previews, I was like, it was like I was taking myself to my own execution. I was like, why on earth am I doing this? This is horrible. This is really terrifying. But, but, you know, it's really interesting to Mm. push through that and think, oh, yeah, no, it's okay. I won't die. It'll just be scary. (laughs) Did you ever play with, like, the idea of having other people work on the project? Or did you think that since it is kind of about self-discovery, that it was important to do solo 
Um, well, there are other people who've worked on it. So mm. I worked with an amazing actor and movement coach, Rachel Blackman, who's Australian actually, but she lives in the UK now, um, on sort of physicality and um, that that kind of because I like I say I've done a lot of performance but very little acting, and so that sort of side of it was quite new to me. And um, another brilliant um, actor, Katie Bonner and theatre maker, was she directed the show and she just completely, you know, opened it up and, and let, made me aware of things, I guess, to do with the sort of structure of it. And again, <clears throat> being new to playwriting, um, sort of the structures, sort of narrative structures and stuff and how to put things in the, the right order for the best effect, she was really helpful with. Um, and Bryony No is this awesome comedian and uh, technician and she's come over with me she's a technician and stage manager so it's a, a great team of excellent women basically <laughs> working on it with me um and and like i say there's a lot of video installation so there's another character or there's a few other sort of minor characters in the film whose voices you hear through video and audio stuff and there's a lot of like montage i really love video montages in films so i was like yeah i'm gonna make my own why the hell not um so in that sense, it certainly doesn't feel... When you're watching it, obviously, it's just me on stage, but there's so many other elements that come in that it doesn't feel like just one person. And in the making of it, in general, it wasn't just me on my little own doing the best I could. Yeah. It's quite collaborative, yeah. That's true. Um, something that was kind of... I found curious was the title, Passionate Machine. Personally, I kind of considered it like a bit of an oxymoron because like attaching the description of passionate to machine which is typically mm. not really considered passionate um so would you be able to kind of expand on the meaning behind the name passionate machine and why you decided to yeah call it that? sure that's a good question <laughs> um i so the show i i one of the show, like I say, is a, has a lot to do with obsessions and my obsessions, particularly in the past, like mad obsessions I've had with guys. And one of those obsessions is with this Russian revolutionary poet called Vladimir Mayakovsky, who very few people outside of Russia have heard of, but whose poetry I read like 10 or 12 years ago. And I was just like, oh, my God, it was just the most passionate, incredible outstanding thing I'd ever read and I was like who is this guy and I was reading it in English translation um, and the, to cut a long story short I became completely obsessed with this guy learnt Russian so I could read his poetry spent six years writing a PhD on him and um, and I've released two books of his work in translation myself since then and now one of the things I'm most known for is a, being a scholar of this guy and the show is kind of about that you know the, I said about the this future me has sort of been on this mission and got stuck a hundred years in the past. The mission in question is like, I love this poet. He's dead. I'm just going to go back in time, stop him from committing suicide, <laughs> bring him back to the future. He can live out his days with me. It'll be amazing. Um, and he, um, one of the descriptions of him as he was this very, he's been called the first and only early Soviet rap star and was very, very intense and booming and had this really strange, lyrical, very forceful style. And one of a description of him I read one time was uh, that he was a passionate machine. And I thought because he was very kind of um, almost mathematical in the way that he put his poetry together, um, but but in sort of overwhelmingly passionate and, you know, it, it killed himself in the end at the age of 36 and you know so this kind of combination of these two things so partly it was a reference to this description of him but in terms of 
why it fits to my show as well. I think um, obviously the machine, the idea of making a time machine is this sort of very scientific thing and the show has to do with looking at how you might go about doing that. I visit CERN, I'm in real life, you know, I visited CERN, spoke to scientists there, worked out how on earth to put this thing together. But it's all for the purpose of this intense, passionate, mad (laughs) mission. So, yeah. It's very interesting. Um, so you've touched on kind of motivations on why you were writing the story, um, ideas of finding yourself literally and figuratively and exploring like the connection between different moments in your life and communicating between mm-hmm. them. Um, do you think in the process of making this play, have you learnt anything in, like in or been able to realise things as you're kind of working on a project that addresses those? Have you had any, like, revelations? Yeah, it was actually, you know, it was really interesting. To begin with, when I first started writing the show, and I wrote a series of blogs on my interest in time travel, which are still online now, Rosie Carrick, (laughs) Time Traveller, Blogspot. Um, And I kind of just thought of it in terms of sort of quite light-hearted and playful. I really love the idea of sort of impossible time loops and I was spending a lot of time in Russia because of my work on Mayakovsky. And so I started having these ideas about how I could put these things together and make these sort of impossible situations and be like, oh my God. Um, and it's very, there's a lot of kind of sort of irreverent um what's the word I'm looking for? References to time travel culture, you know, things like that. Uh, And it was quite a surprise, quite towards the end of the show, that a lot of traumatic experiences, or one in particular, but some trauma from my past, which I hadn't, I guess, dealt with very well, and which now comes into the show as well, I came to realise this question of what it means to look after yourself and how you, you know, this an acceptance, I guess, uh, that... I really wasn't expecting to feel and it I so I suppose I learnt about uh yeah I, I guess when I went into it it was very much with the question of if you could change one thing what would you change if you could go back in time to your past and I came out of it thinking actually it's okay not to change anything it's but you can change the way that you react to it and the way that you are in the present now and that will impact what happens going into the future so that was a an important lesson to learn and I think when I took it to Edinburgh it was the first time I'd ever been there and my words don't know if you've ever done anything in the Edinburgh festival but doing 28 shows day after day with no break I was just like it was quite tiring and demoralizing you know sometimes you have massive audiences sometimes there's like seven people in the audience you're like why am I bothering um and I thought thank god this show isn't some really super depressing thing about suicide or something like that that the that the message behind the show is um you know about self-care and self-determination and self-empowerment and it felt like to to be doing something day after day it felt like a, a positive yeah thing to be doing so that was good. <laughs> good for me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, did you accept this kind of reception for all success? Because you did win uh, the Infallible Award for theater, Theoretical ex- uh, Excellence. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. A bit of a mouthful. Uh, yeah, yeah. it's a bit of a mouthful, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, what did you, What was the question? Did, did I expect it? Yeah, this level of success. Uh, yeah. Well, no, I didn't actually. And I was quite, you know, I guess with any sort of work you kind of fling it out and 
by the time you're towards the end of it, you think, well, this is just complete rubbish. What am I doing? You've lost all sense of it. And so, yeah, at the Brighton Festival last year, it won two awards, Best Design and Best New Play. And in Edinburgh, it won the Infallibles Award for Theatrical (laughs) Excellence. Yeah, I should find a way to abbreviate it somehow. Sticking it on a flyer, it's like, oh, God, it's taking off all the text. Um, And the reviews have been excellent as well. And it's just been, yeah, really positive experience. I think... I I suppose it's quite unusual from a lot of sci-fi stuff because a lot of time travel or sci-fi things tend to focus on some dystopian future and, you know, what's going on and how to get out of that or whatever. Whereas this is very much set in the present day and it's a very personal story and it's about, I guess, as much as anything, the kind of um, inane admin that comes from being an inadvertent time traveller and how you operate that. You know, I'm a single parent and, you know, how that impacts on your day-to-day life. So I, I guess in that sense, it's quite an unusual structure and story (laughs) but yeah it's been great obviously have Um, you had any like um obviously different audiences will kind of experience the show fairly differently have you heard any like distinct responses that kind of stand out or reactions from audiences that like you didn't expect like they laugh at a certain point that you didn't really make funny um yeah that's a good point uh, there are some parts that i've thought have been absolutely hilarious <laughs> and i'm met with stony silence every night yeah. which does beg the question why don't i just change the line but i think no i'll keep that in there for me and there's a lot of geeky references that probably like one person in the whole god knows how many shows i've done so far will have got um and and yeah some things that the, there's a, there was a line to begin with that I thought was quite serious and people just laughed at it all, all the time and I was like at first I felt really offended like how can you feel this way and then I thought actually I, I thought thinking of it in a humorous way was a better way to do it and sort of lightened mm-hmm. it off of it so I changed the way that I performed it accordingly but most of the time people um it start you know it starts as something very light-hearted and it's funny and it's playful and by the time it comes to the end it's still playful and it's still uh, you know funny and has all of these things but it kind of because of the per- personal nature of it and the quite emotional nature of it people generally the response I've got is people just being quite emotional themselves or emailing me telling me about you know things that they've been through and um, yeah just I think it's makes people unexpectedly emotional yeah um I guess you you kind of feel like you're doing something right when you can get those kind of responses from people, especially if they're not expecting it. Um, do you think that you'll get um, have different places ever given different responses? Um, you're playing in Australia, mm. in Melbourne for the Fringe Festival. Do you think that um, there'll be much difference in... What people will find funny? I don't know. I've been thinking about this and I've got no idea. I guess I'll find out tomorrow (laughs) night. Um, But I, yeah, it has sort of been on my mind because I think even from one town to another in the UK, you know, I I previewed it at different festivals last year and then this year I've been touring it all year throughout the UK and when I get back from Australia now, in a week or so, I'm going to carry on touring it then until the end of the year. So yeah, even from one part of the country to another, and that is obviously a very tinsy country compared <laughs> to Australia. 
Um, it has had quite different, you know, some people have been very quiet. There's some, there's a sort of quite visual reference to menstruation at one point, only very brief, but, <laughs> I, and I put it in quite at the last minute, you know, when I was after th- th- Edinburgh last year, I thought it needs a video and I just happened to be on my period at the time when I was making the videos. <laughs> and sometimes people find it hilarious, which, and I find it hilarious, but most of the time there's just this deadly silence. They don't know how to react. Like, yeah, Is yeah. Okay? <laughs> yeah, that's what that somebody said to me. Well, you know if women are sitting there and they're next to their partners and they normally don't want to share anything about that yeah. and with their partners maybe I thought wow the very idea you know I'm the kind of person who'll pop my moon cup out and be like to my daughter oh my god have you seen her <laughs> and she's like oh god, thanks mom so yeah I guess that's a quite extreme example maybe I don't know maybe I put everyone off coming who knew now who was going to or uh, might have done the reverse Pardon? Sometimes he does the reverse. Uh, yeah, maybe. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. If, if anyone comes to the shows and gives me a wink, make it be, well, well no, it's because <laughs> they only came because they're, they're keen on that theme. Yeah. So your shows start tomorrow night and they're running until Sunday. Yes. Is that correct? So there is seven shows in total. It is at the Butterfly Club. Yeah. In Carlton. And it's a part of the Melbourne Fringe Festival. Um so, if you, if this interview has sparked your fancy, um, just check out the website for Melbourne Fringe Festival and search Passionate Machine and all the ticketing information and booking information will be available online there. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming in for our interview and contributing to Art Smitten today. I hope that it goes really well. I hope that I have free time this week and I'll come check <laughs> it out. Thank you. Yeah, I hope so. Thanks for having me. It's been great. Yeah.